Welcome to the Landmark Podcast. I'm Jason Calhoun, pastor of Landmark Pentecostal Church in Texarkana, Texas. We encourage you to visit us on the web at landmarkupc.net for a schedule of services and upcoming events. We pray that you are blessed by the message today. Thank you again for listening. you did in honoring Sister Calhoun. Um, that, that means very much to me. I understand I'm an old guy now. Trouble is, I don't feel like I'm all that old. I, I'm not, I know I'm not 30 anymore. I'm trying to act like it, but uh, my wife don't like me standing on the pulpit and jumping off of it no more. Um, I was preaching in Denver and it has six steps up to the platform and I was on top of the pulpit in my stocking feet and I jumped down. It was about 10 feet down and I broke two toes on that foot right there, the two inside ones. And I couldn't let anybody know because I, I didn't want to spoil that anointment. <laughs> my own wife didn't know I'd hurt myself until... I took my shoe off after church in the privacy of our room and showed her two black toes down there that, that got ouchies on them. So I was cripping around for a few days. And then last time I was here, I was preaching about by the whole field, and I jumped up and kicked my heels together and threw my back out of place while I was up in the air. When I, when I left here, I was on a cane. Yeah, so I know that I'm supposed to act a little... Uh, more discreet, should we say. But to me, it's important how you honor and you treat the man of God. Uh, the church that that I call home now is pastored by my brother-in-law, originally started by my father-in-law. It took my wife almost 50 years to get us to move to where the town where she was raised. The town is uh, not much. Maybe 8,000 people and all the stores are closed downtown. If you want something to eat, you've got to drive 17, 20 miles in either direction or cook at home. And so the women in our town have to learn to cook. It's, it's just kind of how we roll. But the old saints remember Brother Starr. And my brother-in-law has been pastor there about 25 years now. And they still talk about him and they still talk about uh, all that he was and all that he had brought into the into their life and they honor him for all that and I appreciate the fact that they honor him but that reminds me of a, of a little situation in our family when I uh, had my mom and dad come to visit me I was pastoring South Bend and mom and dad were pastoring in Sulphur, Louisiana we're sitting at the table and uh, I was in my 40s. And I said to my daddy, I said, you know, it's going to be good to eat mama's biscuits this morning. I always said, I, I know, son. He said, but time has a way of exaggerating things in your memory. Yeah, your mama's biscuits are good. And you cannot eat your mama's biscuits for 20 years. Then all of a sudden you sit down and eat your mama's biscuits. I mean, yeah, they're good. But it dawns on you that your wife's been making biscuits that taste just that good. And all this time you was thinking your mama's biscuits was better than your wife's biscuits. You know what? Daddy was right. I was sure my mama was the best cook in the whole wide world, but my girl can crank out some biscuits. She in my mind, is a better cook than my mama was, and I didn't think that could ever happen, that nobody could outcook my mama. But my wife does. I don't get it right down there for nothing. That's what I'm talking about. What I'm saying is, you. this church has a very rich, godly heritage. Brother Hurst was here before our pastor. I don't know what if there was an interim between him and Brother Baker, but... Let me just tell you, when I pastored in South Bend for 28 years, before me, my dad pastored 12. Before him, Ray Jones was 12. Before him, Charles Taylor was 12. People would get up and talk about Brother Taylor. They'd talk about Brother Jones, and they wouldn't even mention my daddy. 
they wouldn't mention me. And there was 40 years of Ballesteros, but they went way back yonder. What I'm saying is, you can talk about what used to have back there and ignore what biscuits you're getting to eat right here. And I promise you the biscuits you're getting to eat right now, when this man of God stands up to preach, is just as good as you've ever heard in your whole life. Do you know how God, how God um, judges preachers, pastors? God's measuring stick for preachers in ministry is different than yours. I just thought you should know that. Well, I tell you, he preaches better than Billy Graham. Well, I'm proud for him. But that's, God didn't say, I will give you pastors that can preach better than Billy Graham or Nathaniel Urshan. He said, in, and this is not my text, but he said in Jeremiah three fifteen, and I will give you pastors according to mine heart which shall feed you. My daddy gave me some advice. He said, son, if you want to build a church, be a feeder and not just an exhorter because a feeder will build a church. Exhorter may help you kick your heels together for the moment, but a feeder will give you something that you know why you're kicking your heels together. So to understand, God didn't say, I'm going to give you a pastor that's the best preacher in the whole cornbread world. That's not how God thinks. He said, I'll give you pastors that's according to my heart. And to understand that, you have to ask yourself, what kind of heart does God have? He's got a loving heart, a merciful heart, compassionate, holy, long-suffering, just, faithful, righteous, kind, sacrificial, gives himself for others. And you think about that, that's the kind of pastor we have right here. God, God, let it be known. You do this, you do that. I'll give you a pastor that's got the same kind of heart I have. God doesn't judge preachers by preaching ability, and we got the best right here in this house. That's just a plus. But God judges ministry by their heart. Not by their delivery or their oratory or their command of the English language or Spanish language or what, any language. He judges them by their heart. Because if they got the right kind of heart, God can do whatever He wants to do with you if you got the right kind of heart. And that's the kind of man that God has given this church. And He has great gifts and abilities. He's got a heart according to God's heart. As far as I'm concerned, it doesn't get any better for a church than that right there. But I can't talk about this man without talking about that woman right there. I can't honor him without honoring her. Uh, I, I never knew what it was like to have a pastor appreciation service. In 30 years of pastoring, no one ever did that for me. Maybe I wasn't all that hot. I don't know. Uh, folks left me when I became, first became pastor because they said I couldn't feed them. Maybe they were right. But when my wife said to me when I, were, when I was uh, about to get married a day or two before, she said, baby, I... I'm kind of nervous because I can't cook like your mama can cook. I said, baby, I'd rather eat your peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and be with you. Come on now. Then to be home eating my mama's cooking. It was her that I wanted. Nobody gave me a chance, if you will. They wanted Carl Ballesteros to still be their pastor. Well, for crying out loud, so did I, but he left. I wanted to leave too, but... Majority of them asked me to stay, so I stayed. I didn't know any better. I stayed. I pastored eight years before I got one. I love you. I thank you for that. You blessed me. You helped me. Maybe, just maybe, it helped me dig. It helped me try harder. I don't know. All I can say is don't waste your life or his life by not taking time to honor him because when you honor him, you honor her, you're honoring him, but you're also honoring God in the process. Do you remember the woman, that Shunammite woman, when she honored the man of God by building a room on her house? She also built a room for God when she built it for God's man. How can she say, 
when the servant said, is it well with your husband? She said, it's well. How's it well with you? Oh, she said, it's well. Is it well with your son? She said, it is well. Her baby was dead for crying out loud. How can you say it's well with your dead baby? She knew that she had put God and God's man first in her life. So God was going to take care of everything else. And that will happen to you as well. Let me just tell you that this lady sitting right here is a perfect example of what a pastor's wife should be. Do you see her? This is, I, I'm, a, I'm an old man talking. But I see her come up to the front, the very front. I see some pastor's wives that don't do that. She leads the women in worship and, and by example. Sisters, it doesn't get any better than that right here on this. She's sitting on the front row tonight. It doesn't, to me, as far as I'm concerned, it doesn't get any better than that. She's a Christian. She's a praying woman. She's a godly woman. This church is blessed of the Lord to have Sister Calhoun as her pastor's wife. Don't ever let special occasions slip through your fingers, but it takes time to honor this man or honor that woman. I promise you, God will bless you and bless this church in the process. And all the church said, Amen. Well, that's all the announcements. You may be seated. Not only that, she's an awesome mama and an awesome grandma. And besides that, she's beautiful. I, I need a shana from you. <laughs> How am I going to help me preach a little bit here tonight? Huh? That was kind of weak, wasn't it? <laughs> I guess I just have to do it on my own. I'm going to uh, start back with the book of Job again tonight. That's kind of where I was on Wednesday. This has been the year from torment for the Ballesteros family. It seemed like everything that could go wrong has gone wrong. And just as, just as uh, it has been bad... The last 10 days has brought more light to the end of the tunnel than I ever dreamed could happen. A few days before I got here, things looked like they were turning around in my daughter's life and her, her and her husband. I got uh, a picture today. Can't show it to you right now, but my grandson that I don't know where he slept last night. I don't know where he has slept at all since the month of May. He's been on the street. He came to church today and went to the altar and prayed through. So you pardon me if I kind of get a little... If one of my eyes leak a little bit while I'm trying to talk to you. Because it's just like we pray for miracles and pray for miracles. And it finally happens. I, I used the illustration talking to pastor on the way to church tonight. I said, you know, back in the day we had layaways that we used more than we use layaway now. We didn't have charge cards. I remember putting a suit on layaway and I had it, I had it layaway so long. Paying $2 a week. I had it in layaway so long I forgot what color it was. And finally when I paid that last $2, I got it out of layaway. I got me a $2 suit. What I'm saying is there are what's called memorial prayers. You just keep praying. Praying for that sinner husband, that backslidden child. You never know when you make the last payment on that layaway. And you finally get them out of layaway. I got my grandson out of layaway. I got my son-in-law out of layaway. I got one more I'm trying to get out of layaway. I'm just saying God's a good God, brothers and sisters. Amen. One of my favorite phrases when I go to somebody's house to eat. Just give you a little heads up, girl. One of my favorite phrases is uh, when they pick up my plate, keep your fork. Because that tells me something good's coming. And I just want to tell somebody in the house here tonight, keep your fork. Something good's about to happen. I just believe that something good is about to happen. That's what I'm talking about. 
I'm going to read fast. Let me have my first slide up there. Preaching from a blank screen. Yep, there's a crap. We might as well start there. God help Brother Jack. And there was a day, Job chapter 1, verse number 13. And there was a day when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And there came a messenger unto Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the asses feeding beside them. And the Sabians fell upon them and took them away. Yea, they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The fire of God is fallen from heaven, and hath burned up the sheep and the servants, and consumed them, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans made out three bands and fell upon the camels and have carried them away and slain the servants with the edge of the sword. And I only am alone escaped, escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young men, and they are dead, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. Then Job arose, rent his mantle, and shaved his head, and fell down upon the ground and worshipped, and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this Job sinned not nor charged God foolishly. And all the church said, Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. What he lost in one day. He lost all of his oxen. He lost the asses, and the servants that kept them were slain. All of his sheep were burnt up, and the servants that cared for them were slain. His camels got stolen, and the camel herders got killed. The roof caved in on his boy's house and killed every one of his youngins. And all the devil left him with was a nagging wife. He's still doing that today. Job lost it all in one day. He went from having everything and being the center of attention to a man that felt neglected, rejected, neglected. Everything that ends in ED, I suppose. It was bad. As far as Job's friends were concerned... It don't get any worse than that. You see, if it takes money to make money, Job didn't have a chance in the world of recovery. And as far as the mind of man could see, this guy was hopeless. This appeared to be the judgments of God. And just because you're having some bad stuff happen to you, you can start believing that the, the devil, when he says, God hates you. This is the judgments of God on you. You're out of the will of God. And he starts talking trash in your head. And if you're not careful, you're going to start believing it. And every little thing that happens to you, or every time you read the medical journal, you got everything you read about. you got all the symptoms. Best thing I ever did was get rid of our medical journal. I, I, I want you to know how... I know what it's like to walk around with your death certificate in this hand and your burial permit in your back pocket. I just knew I was deader than 4 o'clock in the morning. Besides that, his friends told him he was no good and God hated him and God was getting ready to kill him and he deserved everything bad that was happening to him. If you play sports, if you played basketball, golf, football, any kind of macho type sports, I suppose... It seems to be the end thing in the certain crowds to try to get in the opponent's head and talk trash to them. 
Because up here is where things are won or lost, right here. And if the devil can get up here in your head and tell you it's all over, you're going to start believing it's all over if you're not careful. But I'd like to give somebody some hope here tonight. Wednesday night, I left you feeling sorry for yourself, and I'd like for you to leave feeling like there's going to be a way out after all. Can I get a witness of hope from somebody? Everybody thought it was all over. I want to tell you something. There was an after this for Job, and there's going to be an after this for you. God specializes in after this. Sister, I, I don't remember your last name. I'm from Crescent. Yes, ma'am. But I, I, didn't, I didn't remember when you went to my cousin's church there in Crescent City. Uh, I remember sitting at the table and eating with her, but I've, I've specialized in not remembering saints' names over the years. It keeps me out of trouble. You know what I mean? But anyway, it's good to see you. I expect that's the shouting section, so I just wanted you to be sure to shout over there so I won't feel bad about you. God gave Job an after this, and that is going to wind up being the title of my sermon tonight. I want to preach about after this. Let me just tell you that starting with after this, it says it this way. I read to you from the first chapter of Job. Now let me read to you from the last chapter. Verse number 10 of chapter 42. And the Lord turned the captivity of Job. Look at your neighbor and say, God knows how to turn things around. When he prayed for his friends, somehow something happens to us when we get our mind off of our own mess and we start praying for our brothers and sisters. It just seems like God has package deals. He solves their problems and he solves yours in the meantime. And the Lord, and also the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. <laughs> yeah, he did. He even let his wife have ten more kids. God knows how to take care of business. And there came unto him all his brethren and all his sisters and all they that had been of his acquaintance before. And they did eat bread with him in his house. And they bemoaned him and comforted him over all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. Every man gave him also a piece of money and every man, every one rather, an earring of gold. So the Lord blessed the latter end of Job. Here's the trick word more than his beginning for he had 14,000 sheep and 6,000 camels and a thousand yoke of oxen and a thousand she asses and he also had seven sons and three daughters it's unusual and holy writ in the old testament especially to have women be mentioned in heritages and especially to have their names mentioned and the sons not be named and he called the name of the first Jemima. I'm certain that that was after one of his aunts that he had. Lord, I apologize for that. Okay. And the name of the second was Kezia. And the name of the third was Karen Hepak. And in all the land, you can tell a man's writing this. And in all the land, there was no women that were so good looking as the daughters of Job. They are the prettiest girls in the whole wide world, is what the man's saying. And their father gave them inheritance among the brethren. The father looked at those women, his girls, and he put them on the same level as the men in his family. That was unusual. That was unheard of. But Job, this is like the kingdom of God. The women share equally with men in the kingdom of God. You're his sons and you're his daughters. And we can't wait till we get over yonder. Can I get a witness from somebody in the house? All right. Verse 16. After this. Somebody say after this. Lived Job 140 years and he saw his sons and his sons' sons and even four generations. So Job died being old and full of days. There will be an after this for you. Now. Since I don't have the names of the boys, all I have is the names of the girls, it made me wonder, what do those girls' names mean? And Jemima means little dove. I can't talk about that without thinking about Noah. When he came through his storm, 
we remember the dove that he released. What means, what that meant was, my storm is over. So when that baby girl was born, Job was saying, it's all over now. The name of Kezia, her name means the fragrance of flowers. There had been devastation before, but now things were starting to bloom again. Oh, this is a new day. And by the time Karen Hapik was born, he, his pockets had a jingle in them once again. And he said, I got everything I need to have right now. I got more than I've ever had before. What he was saying is, there's been an after this for you. There's been an after this for me. And just like there was an after this for Job, there's going to be an after this for you. And there's going to be an after this for you. And there's going to be an after this for you. Somebody needs to claim it in the house here tonight. God's not stingy with his blessings. God's got blessings just waiting to pass out. He just wants you to want what he has. He won't cram it down your throat. He wants you to want what he has. Somebody put your hands together and praise him right now. After your storm, after your trial, there really will be an after this. You might be devastated today, but you keep your chin up because tomorrow there's going to be an after this. You might have had to go through some bankruptcy. You might know what it's like to have a car repossessed or your house go into foreclosure. You might have lost your job and the thing looked pretty bleak for you, but I'm telling you, there's going to be an after this. God always specializes in an after this. Your spouse may have walked out the door and left you living high and dry. Maybe not quite so high. And I know what it's like to hold family in my arms and cry with them because I couldn't put on my daddy's Mr. Fix-It hat. I didn't have a magic wand to wave and fix all of their problems. All I could do was cry with them and try to give them some kind of hope. I'm not a prophet. I'm not... Oh, I, I have spoken, I prophesied in the Holy Ghost and God's allowed it to come to pass, but I don't promote myself as a prophet, if you will. I do stand on his promises because they are yea and amen and they're sure. And this one thing I stand on tonight is God's after this. I don't know how he, I don't know, I haven't got to look at the blueprints yet. I don't know how he plans it or when he plans it. I know it's coming. I don't know how. I don't know when. And I don't know where. But it's coming. All I can do is be faithful and keep waiting. <clears throat> Some of you may have stubbed your toe and fallen flat on your face. You might have embarrassed and shamed yourself as you got away from God. But I want to give you some hope. There's going to be an after this. You can get back up and go forward in Jesus' name. You can recover yourself. You may know what heartache is all about, but God specializes in the balm of Gilead. He knows how to bring peace and comfort to your world. Anybody know what I'm talking about here tonight? I stood the casket of my father-in-law. My wife and her four sisters stood beside their mama. My wife's, all five of the star girls married pastors. Well, I'm not a pastor anymore. It's like after 30 years of pastoring, God said, let my people go. But I stood there at the casket with my, behind my wife. and My mother-in-law raised her hands. My mother-in-law was beautiful. All the girls are. Mine's the prettiest, of course. But she said, 1,600 people in that room. She said loud enough for a good portion of them to hear. She said, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. She didn't cry that day at the casket. Oh, she'd cried till her eyes swelled closed when he died. She had some kind of amazing strength to go through the moment. She lived six years alone. And then one day, Brother Howard Davis, after he lost his wife, 
he contacted my mother-in-law and they spent 20 years together. 40 years with my father-in-law, actually 42, and 20 with Howard Davis. I'm saying, when it looked like there was going to be no after this, there was. There was a beautiful after this. I, I, I'm not trying to tell you that, oh, you're going to get married again. I'm not trying to talk stupid to anybody in the house. I'm just trying to tell you, I believe in an after this. I believe God specializes and in the healing process, brothers and sisters. Come on now. I want to give you two scriptures I want you to hang on to. First one is found in Ecclesiastes chapter 7. And I want to tell somebody that the end is always better. The end is always better. The end is always better. And that has kept me many a day thinking the end is going to be better. Better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof is what the wisest man that ever lived. That's what he finally figured out. David, in the last portion of this verse number 5, he said, Weeping may endure for the night. <laughs> oh, but morning's coming. Morning's coming. I, I, I just heard a little anecdote this past week about an evangelist standing in line at the grocery store. Actually, it wasn't. It was Walmart. And the lady in, the ca- the lady in front of him at the counter, shaking her head, mumbling under breath, she said, if I could just make it to midnight. And she kept on saying it so much, she said, excuse me, ma'am. You, you keep saying if I could just make it to midnight. She said, yes, sir. She said, the Bible said that the mercies of the Lord are new every morning. If I could just make it to 1201, she said. What's she saying? Oh, there's going to be an after this. Today's going to be over and I'm looking for it tomorrow. Come on now. There was an after this for Job. And there will be an after this for you. I've already talked a little bit about Noah, but let me just say a few more things. It started raining in his world, and the rain came down. Uh, my daddy, I, I've done a lot of preaching in the South. I don't know why God never let me pastor in the South. I, I love the South. I love the Southern food, the cooking, the food, the people. I'm bilingual. I can say y'all, and I can say you guys. I know what it's like to be in Sulphur, Louisiana. Actually, I lived in Baytown, Texas for a year as a, when I was a pup. But I know what rain looks like that. It rained 25 inches in 24 hours at my folks' house. Filled up the yard with... It filled up the house, too. Because it come inside. You had to get boats to come up to the door. That's what I'm talking about. Sometimes we're overwhelmed with our storm. And all we can see is the devastation, the roof's leaking. It's coming in, the door. You can try to sandbag all you want to, but sometimes you can't stop the leaks and you can't stop the damage that's done. It's beyond and out of your control. And sometimes you just feel like throwing up your hands and quitting because you can't stop what's coming. But when God... That's the storm pass. I can hear Brother Tim Spell singing right now. Storms don't decide how long they will stay. When the master says, that's enough, they just go away. I, I want to believe your storm is going to go away. I want to believe somebody that your storm is on the way out the door. It's about time your storm left. You've been through this valley long enough. We're going to come out the other side in Jesus' name. You're not going to see the rain no more, but God knows how to put a rainbow in the sky. God knows how to give you a sign that it's over. It's over. It's over. It's over. I see the light of day. Everything going to be, be all right. Everything going to be. Come on now. You can see why they don't let me sing in church. There was an after this for Noah. And there's going to be an after this for you. I'm not just talking. I want you to get this. My children, my wife, have been crying all day because it's been too good to be true. They said, oh, what a Thanksgiving week this is going to be. It's going to be tears of joy at Thanksgiving, thanking God for the restoration in our homes and in our families. 
God knows how to put daddies and mamas back together. God knows how to bring estranged children back together. I'm saying God knows how to put Humpty Dumpty back together again. And he could do the ways you never dreamed possible. I want somebody to leave here with some kind of hope today. We don't live... I don't know how the world makes it without any kind of hope. You're going to have problems whether you live for God or not. It rains on the just and the unjust. Oh, but we got something that the world don't have. We got one we can go to. We got a problem solver. We got a problem fixer. We got a God who knows how to say, peace, be still. He knows how to calm your storm. He knows how to bring, he knows how to shut the lion's mouth. He knows how to take the burn out of the fire. In the north, in the wintertime, in the fall, actually, we start looking at caterpillars in South Bend, Indiana. Because that stripe on some of the caterpillars we have tells us how bad the winter is going to be, supposedly. Except some of them I've been seeing lately have stripe that goes all the way around. That one don't have a stripe like that, but that's, that's kind of a pretty caterpillar. If you're into caterpillars. I think they make good bait for fishing. It's just me. Uh, Birds like them. All they do is eat the good stuff. They eat your bushes, your trees. They can devastate wherever they're at. All he knows about life is that if it's green, I can eat it. It is good. That's all he knows. Or she knows. I can't tell the he from the she right here. That caterpillar's life is so limited, so restricted. It just thinks, man, they sure do love to see me at the shoe store. 99 pairs of shoes. And I like to go to the buffet where you can get plenty to eat. That's about all they know. But something strange starts happening at a certain point in their life, and they start spinning a little something, and they really don't know why or what for. And before they know it, they've got themselves all wrapped up in a tomb. They can't wiggle. They can't move. They can't see. They're clueless about what's, what's happening in their life. They don't know that there's a transformation going on. All they can see is from right here, this looks like as hopeless as it could ever be. It appears that there's no way out from where they're at. Just like in your life, sometimes it seems like there's no way out from where you're at. It looks pretty hopeless. But you can't see what he's trying to do in the process. That caterpillar has had no one sit down and explain to him what's getting ready to happen to him three weeks from now. Because in three weeks, that thing is going to crack open. And that caterpillar won't be called a caterpillar anymore. It's going to be a butterfly. It's going to be able to go to a level it never got to go to before. But it had to go through the cocoon before it could fly. There was an after this for a butterfly. Just like there's going to be an after this for you. I went on Google and I typed in the word butterfly. I typed in actually the prettiest butterfly in the world. And then I clicked on the word images and I found the prettiest butterfly I could find and I sent it to my daughter several weeks ago. Because I had just been talking to her over the phone had talked to her about there's going to be an after this for you, baby. There was. There was an after this for the caterpillar. What I'm saying is, troubles don't last always. You're going to come through this. You're going to have a shout. There is no testimony without a test. God knows how to give you a testimony. Oh, come on, you can do better now. Put your hands together and praise Him. Some of you are old enough to remember when Mount St. Helens blew. I know an idiot 
that flew out to Portland, Oregon two weeks after it blew. You got a picture with it? Yeah, right there. I know some idiot that flew out to Portland, Oregon and rented a Cessna so he could fly down inside of the crater of Mount St. Helens and take a look at it. Hello. Yeah, it did. My wife is smarter than I am. She didn't go with me. That's why women live longer than men. I made two laps down inside the crater. Was it still smoking a little bit? Mm-hmm. Was there red bubbly stuff down in the bottom? Mm-hmm. Did you think you might crash and fall down in there? Mm-hmm. Was you glad when you finally got out? Mm-hmm. I've been retarded all my life. All I could see from about eight or 9,000 feet out was white. Ash covered everything. Complete devastation. See that little oval down at the bottom right? Those are two men standing there. Those trees are knocked down, covered with ash. There is nothing but white and devastation for as far as the eyes can see. That happened in Oregon. Ash made it all the way to South Bend, Indiana. It covered a good portion of the U.S. Let me just say, just because you have a problem, you say, well, I ain't hurt nobody, this don't affect nobody but me, you'd be surprised how many lives get affected by what happens to you. If you don't think that, just get out there on the interstate where somebody has a flat tire or wreck and you sit in traffic for four hours, you realize they had a problem, but you have a problem now because they had a problem. The same thing happens in church. That's all the announcements. You may be seated. If you went to Mount St. Helens today, some 25 years later, got there about the right time. Oh, yeah, the top's missing from the mountain. But vegetation is growing again. It doesn't look quite the same, but it's beautiful once more. What I'm trying to tell you, brothers and sisters, even when you've been through the worst of devastation, God knows how to give you an after this. God is in the recovery business. God is in the restoration business. He specializes in things called impossible. And he will do what no other power can do. Put your hands together and praise him one more time. There was an after this from Mount St. Helens. There will be an after this for you. I'm afraid I might have my dates wrong. I'm, I, the, 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 the year 1805 comes to my mind, but I don't know that that's accurate. There is a fault called the New Madrid Fault in southern Illinois. I just preached for Brother Worthen near Murfreesboro. I was pretty close to it then. In about early part of the 18th century, 1800s rather, uh, there was an earthquake in the New Madrid Fault so powerful that it rang church bells in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. It was felt in North Carolina. It was so strong that it made the Mississippi River stop and turn around and flow backwards for 24 hours. A river who has spent its centuries taking everything from where it had been and taking it away from upriver and dragging it out to sea. But when that earthquake happened, it turned around and brought everything back that it had taken away. What I'm saying to you, we get hung up sometimes looking at the devastation, at the earthquake. Oh, this is horrible. And we can't see, well, the, oh Lord, it's so bad the Mississippi turned around. We can't see what God's trying to bring back to our world. Let me just explain to you this way. 
When I resigned as pastor, I was 55 years old. My dad and I both resigned the same church, age 55. It's like we were Thanksgiving turkeys with little red buttons that popped out and said, you're done. I had got my kids through college, got my daughter married off, maxed out my, my only credit card, and I was broker in the Ten Commandments. I had $150 in my front pocket. I didn't have a house. I had a 94 Chevy Caprice. I'm a high roller. 1999. The first Sunday that I've, after I resigned, I'm on my way to preach in Missouri. For one Sunday for Brother Bill Garrett in Joplin. 675 miles from my house. I blow a front left tire. I have one, I, I've never applied for a credit card. Uh, I mean, for a gas card. Still don't have one. I spent a lifetime without one. Don't, don't ask me why I didn't. I, I just didn't. Now I have like a debit card that I can use to buy my gas and get the same job done. My deal was if I had money, I went. If I didn't, I just stayed home. That's kind of simple that way. And when you're an evangelist, you try not to get head over heels in debt because you, I, well, I preached there in your church, had about four people in it. So, there, you know, I'm, I'm big time. My deal is if you're too big to preach in a little church, you're too little to preach in a big church. That's how that works. So, I go to Sam's Wholesale Club because I had... Uh, Road hazard insurance with the tires. I, I got them at Sam's Club. Here I am in a town I've never been in before. And I say to the manager, what happened? And he said, I'll tell you what, sir. You buy two tires, I'll give you two tires. That'd be four tires for the price of two tires. I said, well, how much is that going to cost me? He said, $102. Well, four tires for $102, pretty good stuff. The only problem is I only had 150 Here's the deal. If Brother Garrett gives me a check, I got 675 miles to get back home. I might have enough for gas money with $48 to get back home. Don't know. I'd like to buy my wife some supper tonight. And if we eat, that's going to cut down on the gas money. Houston, will you have a problem? But something in me said, Tell him, yeah, go ahead. You need the tires. So I said, yeah, go ahead. Here's the deal. If the man gives me a check, I have to leave at 6 in the morning. I won't be able to get to the bank to cash the check before I go. That's the problem. So I, I'm standing there at the counter. And I said, yeah, go ahead. He turned around and he hollers out the order. And immediately I get a thump on my left hand. And I look and a white-haired man looked like he's about in his 70s or so. Lays a $100 bill in my hand, and he turned, and he didn't say a word. just turned and walked out the door. And I'm standing there at the counter, and I said, Oh, God, thank you. And it was like the Lord said to, my, said to me. I'm afraid to say the Lord spoke to me. I'm just saying it was like the Lord said to me. I figured out how to get you four tires for $2. But before I could bless you, I had to let you have a blowout. And sometimes all we can see are the blowouts. And we can't see how God's trying to bless us. And some of us need to realize God doesn't make any mistakes, brothers and sisters. He knows how to bless you in spite of your blowouts. Don't hang up about the blowout, all right? Let me talk to you about a man named Joseph. Here's a man that was unloved, mistreated, sold into slavery. He was lied on by his master's wife. He was wrongly punished. He was thrown in jail. He wasn't there for 30 days. He was there till he died, pretty much. He was forgotten about. He was given up on. Nobody ever came to see him. No, there were no names on his visitor list. I took a picture with my iPhone right there. You can see Joseph sitting right there in jail. He sat in a prison one day, and the next day you see him Sitting on the throne. I'm talking about God knows how to bring you out from where you were. There was an after this for Joseph. And there's going to be an after this for somebody in this house. Put your hands together and praise the Lord. Somebody needs to leave here with some faith in their heart tonight.
King David, man after God's own heart, he had a bump in the road, pretty major one. He goes out and he wins a battle and he comes home and he finds out all the women, the wives, the children, everything that they had had been taken from them. All their treasures and valuables, gone. Not only that, their houses were burnt. First Samuel 33, 30 and verse 3 says, So David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire, and the wives of their sons and their daughters were taken captives. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. I'm not talking about sissy boys crying. I'm talking about giant killers. I'm talking about hairy-chested tough guys. They cried till they didn't have enough power to work up one more tear. They were exhausted with pain. I pray God you never have to walk that road. There were some that were so distraught with David, they weren't thinking very nice thoughts about him. Made David pray and talk to God. He even wanted to know what to do. There were some men that were so weak, they could not even follow David to recapture what had been lost. And David just said, you stay right here, and protect the city while we're gone. Let me read my next verse. Verse 18 says, And David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away, and David rescued his two mothers-in-law. Well, if you got the wives, you're going to get the mamas too. I just tell you that. that is a, that's a package deal. He got, and there was nothing lacking, nothing lacking, nothing lacking. Neither small nor great nor son, neither sons nor daughters, neither spoil nor anything that they had taken to them. David recovered all. I'm trying to tell you there was an after this for David and for David's man. God is in the business of helping you recover everything. He's in the recovery. He's a recovery specialist, brothers and sisters. There was an after this for David. And there's going to be an after this for you. I want to talk to you about a lady named Mary Galley. Mary Galley was born and raised Catholic. Beautiful Italian woman. She had two daughters, twin daughters, seven years old. Standing on the front porch of her house one day, Mary Galley watched them get off the school bus on the other side of the street, come around the front of the bus, and cross in front of the bus. The lights were flashing everything, and a drunk came by, disregarding all signals and signs, and killed her twin seven-year-old girls in front of her eyes. Hold it right there. When I first met Mary Galley. Uh, it was about 15 years ago. I went to preach Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday at her church in Hopkinsville, Kentucky. That's her son. He's the pastor now. But she was invited to a Pentecostal church by someone. For years, she was... She drank herself into oblivion, depression. But somebody invited her to Life Tabernacle in Hopkinsville, Kentucky. She went to the altar, got the Holy Ghost, got baptized in Jesus' name the first night. She took all the home Bible study classes and courses that they would give her. And within about a year or so, she started teaching Sunday school class. When I first went there, Wednesday through Friday, she prayed 20. 25 people through the Holy Ghost by herself in three nights. I was invited to stay through Sunday. And so I came back and preached Sunday. And I counted 42, 42 people that that woman prayed through by herself from Wednesday to Sunday. I was blown away by the gift that this woman has in helping people pray through to the Holy Ghost. When she was in church two, three years as a Sunday school teacher, she went up to the pastor there one day 
Brother Adams, and she said, Pastor, if there's ever an opening in the seven-year-old Sunday school class, I'd, I'd like to be one of the ones that you would consider for that class. That's how old my twin girls were when they were killed. I have a, a connection with seven-year-olds. So she became the teacher of the seven-year-old Sunday school class in a very short time. I went to a general conference some four or five years ago, and she was brought up on stage and honored as the Sunday school teacher of the year because for the last three years in a row, she had prayed a minimum of 70 seven-year-olds through to the Holy Ghost in her Sunday school class alone. I'm saying she turned her world around. What I'm trying to tell you, brothers and sisters, is don't waste your pain. Don't waste your trial. Don't waste your tears. Turn it around for the glory of God. Let God have a testimony out of the test that he's just brought you through. There wasn't after this for Sister Mary Galley. There's going to be an after this for you. Somebody go ahead and clap your hands to the Lord one more time. God had it ordained that Ezekiel should come over the hill yonder and look across the valley and see nothing but dry bones. And the Lord said, he said unto me, son of man, can these bones live? Amazing what questions God asked you. Ezekiel was afraid to even commit himself. And he said, you know, thou knowest. And he said unto me, prophesy unto these bones. And say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Let me just tell you, as a friend of this church, let me just tell you the key to your recovery is sitting in this chair right here. Your recovery is going to be connected directly with the hearing of the word of God. No wonder the book said, He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit has to say. Thank God for preaching. Preaching is what brought us out of the brought us out of Egypt. Preaching kept us in the wilderness. Preaching is going to bring us to the promised land. Thank God for his word. Thank God for the man of God that preaches the word. God didn't give us a hireling. God didn't give us a politician. When God said, I give you a pastor card in my heart, it has nothing to do with your vote. Because it's God that puts men in place. It's God that chooses this one for this place. And God chose the right man for the right place in this house. I'll just tell you, preaching don't work. Psychiatrists won't work. No book you can read is going to work. Nothing's going to work. If God can't fix it, it can't be fixed, brothers and sisters. Hear the word of the Lord. So I promised, I prophesied rather, as he commanded me, and breath came into them, and they lived. I'm telling you, something happens when the man of God's preaching, the anointing is there. And they stood up on their feet, an exceeding great army. God knows how to give a valley of dry bones, and after this, God knows how to get people that are dead, dried up, where it looks like there's absolutely no hope of living again. There's no flesh. There's nothing that says there can ever be an after this. But God specializes in things called impossible. And he will do for you what no other power can do. You've got to hang on to that, brothers and sisters. There will be an after this. There will be an after this. Backslider, there's going to be an after this for you. Sinner, there can be an after this for you. Your final chapter's not been written yet. No matter what you've done, no matter what you've been, there will be an after this. I got a phone call one Monday morning at 8 o'clock. And some coil head on the phone said, Is this Reverend Ballastinio? I said, you're within about five syllables. That ain't bad. I'm laying in bed. I've been up since six. It's eight o'clock. I haven't got out of bed because I'm reading a little more. I'm almost done with it. I've already killed two people. 
And I don't smell any bacon or nothing, you know, coming from the kitchen. So ain't no, or I don't even smell any coffee. So I, ain't no point in me getting up. I haven't had coffee, and I've killed two people. And this quail head calls me, and he said, uh, "One of your prisoners told me if I wanted to be saved, I need to be baptized in that there Jesus's name." I said, "Well, they told you right." Look at me. Do I? Do I attract weirdos? Am I a weirdo magnet or something? He said, Well, I want to get baptized in that there Jesus' name, but I don't want to be a member of your church. Well, here goes the third one I'm going to get. I said, Well, if I baptize you in Jesus' name, why wouldn't you want to be a member of my church? He said, Because I'm an alcoholic. I've been an alcoholic for 17 years. I'm always going to be an alcoholic. And AA is my church. Did I mention I hadn't had coffee yet? I said, Well, then, if AA is your church, get AA to baptize you. Thank you for calling. He said, Hey, I'm serious. I want to be baptized. I said, get AA to baptize you. He said, they don't baptize. I said, why don't they baptize? He said, because uh, they're not a church. Well, when you pastor in a Catholic community, you have to use Catholic terminology so they can understand you. Well, my dad's people are Catholic. I understand that. So I used the word that Catholics can understand. I said, bingo. Lord, I apologize for that. <laughs> I said, I'll tell you what, Bob. Come down to the church at 9 o'clock. And we'll have a little Bible study. And if you still want to get baptized, we'll talk about it. So he comes down to the church. We're sitting in a Sunday school room across the table from each other. And I come across 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous ain't going to heaven? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor prissy boys, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards. And when I got to the word drunkards, I said, Oh, oh, Bob, do not pass gold. Do not collect $200. You go directly to jail. And I just closed my Bible. He said, Hey, hey, hey. He said, What's wrong? I said, You're a drunkard. You told me you always going to be a drunkard, and drunkards can't go to heaven. He said, would you mark that in my Bible? I said, ain't going to do you no good. I flunked that Bob Carnegie course. I was just... <laughs> Look, when you're dealing with an idiot, sometimes you've got to shock them, okay? He said, what am I going to do? I said, I don't know, man. Tough luck. <laughs> so I marked it in the Bible for him where he could read it. He looked at that and he said, man, this is horrible. Yes, that's bad. Yeah, that's real bad. Hey, I didn't tell you to do that. Thank you. I said, well, since there's really no hope for you, let me just explain to you before you have to go. The difference between AA and a Pentecostal church. And then I had him turn. I'm just messing with you, girl. I had him turn to the next verse. And such were. Come on, all you English majors. That's past tense. Some of you, but ye are. That's present tense. Washed. But ye are sanctified. That means set apart. Ye are justified. And that's just as if you've never done it. In the name of the Lord Jesus. That's baptism. In the name of the Lord Jesus. And by the Spirit, capital S, of our God. That is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Ghost. 
When you get baptized in Jesus' name and you get the Holy Ghost, the old life is gone. I said, let me tell you the difference between AA and the Pentecostal church. At AA, you stand up and you say, Hello, my name is Bob and I'm an alcoholic. And I've been an alcoholic for 17 years. Pray for my strength in the Lord or whatever they say. But if they let you testify in a Pentecostal church, you stand up and you say something like, 17 years ago, God delivered me from alcohol. And such were some of you. There's an, uh, there's an after this for every sinner, for every backslider. And there's going to be an after this for you. God specializes in after this. You don't have to die in your sins. You don't have to die with your addiction. You can be delivered. You can be set free. Let me have my next one, please. Here's the churches after this. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. There will always be an after this for the church. We're getting ready to go on home, folks. Let's go. Just a little while to stay here. Pretty soon this is all going to be over. Troubles and trials are going to be gone, brothers and sisters.